Welcome to the Faith and Money Podcast with your hosts, Keith Connolly and Crystal Wampler. Keith is the president and CEO of True Legacy Financial Planning, a financial advisory firm that serves clients who desire to receive biblical wisdom with their financial advice. Keith specializes in working with faith-based business owners, churches, and nonprofits, ministers, and high net worth families of faith. Crystal is the CEO and founder of Kinethics, a cannabis financial advisory solutions group based in Orange County, California. Crystal is the co-founder and co-host of the Crypto Cannabis Show, an international faith-based show that educates, grows, and inspires business owners within the five C's, Christ, Cannabis, Cryptocurrency, Cybersecurity, and CPAs. Crystal also serves on the board of directors of the International Cannabis Business Women's Association, an association focused on helping women launch into the cannabis industry. Well, thank you, Crystal. It's it's great to be with you again today. And and you know, there's your five C's there are just so relevant to today's world. Um, you know, taxes, um, cannabis, cryptocurrency, and cybersecurity, and even Christ are just big topics. Um, have you seen the Jesus Revolution movie yet, Crystal? I don't think I have. Is that new? It's a movie about the ministry of, of Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. Um, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, so cybersecurity is such a big topic these days, you know, and, and a lot of people may not have heard of companies like Fortinet or different other cybersecurity companies, but what kind of things should our listeners know about cybersecurity? Well, I mean, the one thing that th people should know that they already know is, you know, change your passwords, make sure you're updating your computer systems, um, making sure that you have a professional help you, which I am not. <laughs> and, um, you know, something that's interesting that's also gaining a lot of um, hackers notice is cars, automobiles being hacked. And so there's a rise in 2023 um, for automobiles being hacked, which is will be quite interesting as well. And then also with cryptocurrency, there's a rise with um, hacking in, in the crypto world as well. Yeah, I mean, I just know that there are a lot of threats out there in the world today and and not many of us take enough time to protect ourselves or even understand what those risks are. Um, you know, there are password managers and, and you know, you leave your phone, you know, at a, at a restaurant or at a bus station and, and, you know, your whole life could just be out the door, you know, mm -hmm. with all your passwords, your bank accounts, and, you know, it, it's a scary world. I have several clients and friends that work within the cybersecurity world and they tell me about these fiber optic lines and how they're crossing them. And I don't really understand it, but it's, it's definitely a big area um, of national and personal security, you know, these days, um, you know, they're talking about, you know, the possibility of, or the potential uh, of, of some of our national enemies sending you know, bombs across our, our country to block our, our, our grid and, and to do a lot of stuff that could be very dangerous to our country and, and, and kill a lot of people. 
Um, and this is all related to cybersecurity. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're talking about that in the cyber or on the um, <laughs> show. Oh, and there's one of Crystal's dogs interfering. What was that, Sparky? That was Georgie, Sir George. Oh, Georgie. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Georgie. Uh, you know, we are very pleased to see our audience growing here on the Faith and Money podcast. We love seeing our numbers of listeners increasing, and we love to see how our listeners are being influenced to honor the Lord with, our, with their wealth. Today, we are welcoming my good friend Cody Leibolt to talk about the philosophy and ideology of Ayn Rand. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So Cody Leibel, he has an MA from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he and I have a lot of jokes for each other about being Baptists or Presbyterians, but, uh, you know, he, Cody is from a Baptist seminary and, and a Baptist church, uh, and we still love him anyway. But uh, he also works as a marketer and hosts a podcast at christianintellectual.com discussing philosophy and theology. Um, and, and to add to his bio, I would just add that Cody is a skilled teacher uh, and also has a large social media presence. So we're really glad to have you here. Yes, welcome, Cody. So Cody, without any further delay, please enlighten us. Who is Ayn Rand? She's an author that immigrated to the United States in the 20th century. She, I think I'll just pull up her dates so you can see she was born in Russia in 1905 and lived in the United States until her passing in 1982. So no overlap between her life and my life, but she had a huge influence on American society throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, especially. And she was known for being a champion of capitalism, laissez-faire capitalism. She thought that the government should be limited and she had a philosophy to back that up in terms of her theory of knowledge, her epistemology, and also in terms of her moral code, her approach to ethics. And her most famous writing would be Atlas Shrugged and another novel called The Fountainhead. She has several other novels, and then she also has extended, extensive nonfiction writing in terms of essays, speeches, mm -hmm. books. And what she is trying to persuade people is to evaluate what it takes to live on earth, to live well. She says, you need to ask yourself the question, where am I? And how do I know it? And what should I do? And you should be logical about that. Now she's not a Christian, but she does say a lot of things that are relevant to anybody that is facing those challenges, which would include Christians. So Cody, if she, if, you know, as I understand it, Ayn Rand was actually opposed to Christianity. She wasn't just a non-Christian. She was opposed to Christianity. Is that right? Yes, she had many criticisms for evangelical Christianity or Catholicism in the United States or even Eastern Orthodoxy, which she was, she was familiar with. And some of those criticisms I take as actually being accurate, that the teaching that was being transmitted from churches to the people, not, not what was in the Bible, but the teaching that was being transmitted to people at different times, she pointed out that they were telling you that money is evil those kinds of things, things relevant to a podcast like this. And she called them out and said, that's not true. Now, I don't think she understood the Bible very well, but there are things in her critique of mainstream Christianity that I agree with. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Uh, you know, if if you read one of my heroes of the faith, his book, you know, he died um, in the 19, um, early 1930s, J. Gresham Machen, his book, Christianity and Liberalism. If you read it, you think that he just wrote it today because it's just so applicable. People in our, in churches in our country, just teaching the most ridiculous things out of ignorance. You know, in, in Machen's day, there were people in the mainline uh, reformed Presbyterian churches, you know, denying things like the virgin birth of Christ or the divinity of Christ, um, inerrancy, things, you know, that the, that both, you know, Crystal, Cody, and I would hold very dear. Um, but, you know, if, if she wasn't a Christian, then why would we want to listen to her? Well, she's making observations about the way the world works. And so one of the things in Atlas Shrugged is she shows what happens when a government turns into a kleptocracy, when it turns into just rule by those who want to abuse the people that they're ruling and they want to take bribes. And so these are observations about how the world works. Anybody would want to know about that if you live in this world. Right. I mean, I think that there are people in society today who um, may not have a credible or even any Christian testimony that would attest to these things. I mean, we, and, you know, I don't think it's very hard to imagine that uh, there's bribery and, and, and a lot of mistreatment and a misuse of government today. Yes, we are. It's often said that we live in the world that Ayn Rand described in Atlas Shrugged. She wrote it in 1957, published it in 1957, I should say. And almost everything that's being described there is on the news today, and it has been for about 10 years. Can you give us some examples? Train crashes? Train crashes that seem to be just horribly mishandled by government officials in ways that seem to be poisoning farmland and destroying the, you know, the cities. And so we have, we have a whole bunch of economic problems. If you have looked at Los Angeles, if you looked at the way when you drive through there, there's tent cities rising up. Ayn Rand was familiar with the dynamics of civilization when irresponsibility rules. She'd lived in Soviet Russia. She escaped there. She'd seen what it was like living in the United States in the 1930s. She'd seen the rise of socialistic approaches to government in that time. Yeah. So she has a lot of just plain old observations about this is why things become this way. And any of the economic problems that we see today, dislocations, or uh, we see the rise of crime, or in, in a lot of cases we see like the, the horror of inflation today, this is a big effect on us today. All of that, she has opinions about. Like, for example, she believed that we should be on a gold standard. And today that seems like, oh my gosh, how could you, how could you consider that? But in, in the day that she was writing, getting off of the gold standard was a fairly new concept at least for the United States. So there's anything that you could complain about with the economy or the way that the banks are doing things like the, you know, the, the subprime mortgage crisis that happened, right? At, you know, quite a while back, she, she had opinions about how that was all definitely going to happen by the logic of what the state was trying to do by the logic of the laws. She predicted it. So what, what kind of things was she saying about the church in America when she was alive that would pertain to today as well? Well, one of the major themes that you hear throughout history, that you hear Christians presenting as being the message of Christ, 
is that you should die to yourself. And she says, I want to have a philosophy for living on earth. So I'm completely opposed to that message of dying to yourself. And when I was a young man, uh, quite a bit younger than I am now, when I read her novel Atlas Shrugged and I realized this was her thesis, I had to confront, wait a minute, does the Bible say that you should die to yourself? Or does it say you should die to your sins, to the old self, to the old sinful nature? And does it really say that we should not be concerned about pursuing that which is in your own personal interest? Like many seem to preach today, the preachers of pathological altruism today preach that you must live for the sake of others. You must live to sacrifice what is good for you for its own sake, and that that's what morality is. Now this comes from Kant. C.S. Lewis pointed that out. It comes from the Stoics. It comes from the Catholic Church in some ways. But when you look in the pages of Scripture, and then you ask yourself, wait, Rand was saying that this is a bad idea, but what is actually, what is actually in Scripture, you reread it and you think to yourself, the way it's been preached is not always the way it was written. Like, for instance, is it better to give than to receive? Or does it say it is more blessed to give than to receive? Or uh, what is Paul's motivation? And so she's tying her belief in capitalism and economic liberty to individual motivation. Should you seek values for your own sake? Is that okay? Is that right? And she's going to disagree radically with what most pastors say today. And on that issue, there's some nuance, but I do generally agree with what she's saying. I, I think I do as well, but I think that some of our readers might need to have that fleshed out a bit more. Let's get a bit more concrete here. Yes, I mean, it is not an easy topic, not at all. So when, when you know, I talk about dying to self, um, I think about, you know, sacrificing and, you know, I'll be honest, the first thing that came to my mind when you said it, and you and I have talked about this in the past, but, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was my children. I would sacrifice myself for my children in a heartbeat. Um, I would, you know, do anything I could to keep them alive and to keep them healthy and safe. But that's not what you're talking about. Well, you said it was your children. So we're already functioning on the premise that you have personal values. You're not talking about someone else's children or sacrificing your children so that you could save someone else's children. So we agree that this pathological altruism, this have to give for the sake of other people, uh, is, is not a good compass for understanding how you should live your life. Right. So if, you know, the Bible teaches that we should die to sin and, we, and our old man should be dying and, and becoming the new man. That's very different than this idea of dying to self. What do most people today mean by dying to self? Well, it's hard to say because there would be many pastors who would actually say that the purpose of Jesus's message, this is maybe David Platt or somebody like that in the Southern Baptist world would say, the purpose is to teach you that you should give up your life. And so he says this as a way to inspire people to go live in another country and be a missionary. And he says, it's, it, you know, the, the whole point is dying to yourself or sacrificing things. That's what God wants you to do. And there, that's, that's what many of the preachers actually believe, I think. And then when people hear it, some of them think, oh, well, should I even pray for myself? Is that immoral to pray for myself? Or maybe I only should pray for other people. Uh, other people... When they hear that preaching, they're going to translate it in their mind, and they're going to think to themselves, well, he can't actually mean 
self-sacrifice for its own sake. It's got to be like what the Bible talks about, which is for the sake of something else. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. You will in no wise lose your reward. What has a man profited? It's better for you to enter into eternal life. Over and over again, everyone that has forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, for mine's sake shall receive a hundredfold. Like, so people are going to hear a preacher, and in their mind they're going to fix it. And they're going to say, he can't really be preaching against those things, can he? But listen to what they're saying and ask whether they actually whether the pastors actually believe those verses. That's the question I'd ask. Right. This earlier today, Crystal and I recorded another episode with a with a uh, life coach, and we were talking about Jesus's words in Luke twelve. Um, and I'll just read the very uh, verse twenty one. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. And the question is, what does it mean to be rich toward God? And, and you know, if you heard last week's episode, you'll have heard uh, what, what I said, but I'll, I'll say it again in case you didn't. You know, being rich towards God means that we're not laying up treasures for ourselves, but we're laying them up for the Lord and, and what he's doing in this world. Um, and we're using the creation that he has entrusted us with as his image bearers for his purposes. And part of his purposes is our self-preservation and and the preservation of our loved ones and and the preservations uh, uh, and betterment of our communities. Um, But but that's different than a lot of ideas that are floating around in in evangelical Christianity about um, these socialist tendencies like reparations or or uh paying taxes if you have more than your neighbor so that they can have something that you don't you know kind of this redistribution of wealth i mean certainly Anne Rand would be opposed to those things and i and i would argue with anyone and challenge anyone that the that the bible would agree with that and jesus would agree with with you know with being opposed to any socialist tendencies Yes, and one of the things Rand actually agreed with about Christianity, she said, Jesus was an advocate of caring about your own soul. Clearly, he tells people, you need to do what it takes to make sure that you will inherit eternal life. And she pointed out that this is a different thing than some other religions teach, where it's perhaps like there's a a religion that elevates the state. Like, you can imagine the ancient Egyptian religion, which makes the pharaoh and the state the god. The king is the god. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So she thought that this was a good thing, a good influence, although she didn't agree with a lot of things Jesus said, clearly. But she pointed out that there was an individualistic aspect within Christianity. And this is one of the things that's in the discussion today a lot is, should Christianity be conceived individualistically? M- many of the mainline liberal denominations within Christianity will say that the problem is that we've been focusing too much on individual souls and we need to be oriented toward our communities as if it would be possible to have one without the other. I don't think that that's the right rate to conceive it. I think an advocate of individualism believes in individuals and believes in communities. And the question is just, which is the primary unit of value? That's the question that you have to ask. Like, do we want communities because that is what it takes for individuals to flourish? Or are we going to be willing to sacrifice the flourishing of an individual if, right. if necessary, in order to achieve some kind of utopia or, or communist thing, 
So yeah, you have all these ideas like the, the, the woke or the, the communist gen, general Marxist general idea of what society should be. But then, and, and that's seeping into churches. And then you also have, on the other hand, a lot of churches are accepting the prosperity gospel, which is, you, you know, treat God like a vending machine and you just give us your seed donation and that's going to result in you getting rich, I promise. If you just have faith, and if it doesn't happen, then it's because you didn't have faith. Give more. Try again. That's it. That's they're just shysters. There's also the poverty gospel. Poverty gospel, which teaches people that God wants them to be poor. That that's a sign of virtue if you're not making it. And I don't think that any of those are good. I think that the conventional Orthodox Christian teaching historically has been that we ought to seek to have an increase that God does generally bless our work when we do it right. Not always. There will be suffering. But generally, he wants us to seek to prosper. When I think of the biblical teaching, I don't really want to have to make the choice between individualism and some idea of, of corporatism, if for a lack of a better word, because the Bible uses both of those language. You know, the Bible talks about we're all part of the body. We're united to Christ, the cornerstone very clearly talks about those things but at the same time the bible does promote uh personal property private property and it's it's that tension in the bible that goes all throughout the scriptures and if we choose one or the other we uh we we make some serious mistakes it goes back to what my Peter, my friend Peter Jones with Truth Exchange talks about, you know, the doctrine of oneism versus twoism. And oneism just kind of wants to unite and 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 make everything one and everything is kind of like deified, which is essentially, you know, looking to to some sort of communistic uh worldview. Whereas twoism recognizes there's there's God and there's creation and making that distinction between uh, God and, and, and creation. Uh, so these are very important distinctions that, that unfortunately a lot of, of trained leaders in our churches aren't able to discuss in a biblical manner. And it's a real problem. Uh, so what exactly is um, Rand's teaching on objectivism? What is that? That is a philosophical system. And for those who are interested in philosophy and maybe concerned, if you're a Christian and say, wait, we should be careful about worldly philosophies. A philosophical system is just a set of answers and a set of questions that are things like, what kind of world are we in? How do we know things? What does it mean to say that you know something? And so these are just fundamental questions that people have wrestled with since the time of the Greeks. And some people have good answers and some have bad. But it's from the quest for this kind of knowledge that you get things like systematized approach to logic, where you learn the logical kinds of arguments, the kinds of deductive syllogisms. And so there is fruit from this. Nobody would doubt if you're familiar with the Christian tradition. This has been widely accepted that there was some value in some of the things that Plato said, some of the things that Aristotle said. And if you familiar with Augustine, you would know how much he depended on Plato. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with Aquinas, you would know his connection to Aristotle. So Rand would break down her theory, her, her belief system, 
of objectivism. And she say there's metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, political theory, and aesthetic theory. So those would be the big five for her. And she has a specific answer uh, for each one of those, uh, which asks the question, what facts of reality give rise to the need for us to even have this set of questions at all? Why do we need to know what kind of world we live in? What facts have we observed that have led us to ask the question about that? And then for all the other branches, she asks the same kind of question. So it gets into the weeds. It's a complicated thing. But generally speaking, her approach is that reality is real and that you use your reasoning mind to know things. You make observations, you think about them logically, and then you come to know things. And the reason why you would do this is so that you can have a life as a human being. And so life as a human being in the world is her standard for approaching questions of what you should do, what is appropriate to the kind of nature that you have. And from that, we we can actually draw some connections between that and what Paul says in Romans 1, where you ought to be able to know a lot of things about what kind of life you should live just by observing. And what she misses is that you also ought to know some things about God. That's the part where she just, as Romans 1 talks about, her heart was darkened. She was a sinner, and she did not acknowledge God, not give him glory. Right. Then you go into politics. Her her approach is that the individual person has to have a a motivation in what he's doing, and it shouldn't be interfered with by other people. He doesn't live for the sake of other people, and so the laws ought to reflect that. You ought to keep your own property. And then finally, in aesthetics, she has a approach which she didn't just write about, but she actually demonstrated with her fictional work. She says, this is this is my aesthetic theory in application, which is romantic and also realist. So it's romantic in that it is similar to Les Mis or um, similar to Cyrano de Bergerac. There's this aspect of poetry to it, of heightened value state, heightened emotional state. So she calls that romantic. But then her, the realist aspect is that it needs to be the kind of thing that could actually happen. So that's that's her overall philosophy. There's, there's many details to it, but I think you get a sense of what she's trying to do. Yeah, very good. Uh, and and so how does that come out with how she views individual rights? Well, her view generally aligns with the American founding fathers, especially those who were most concerned about limiting the size of the government. So she was probably not much of a fan of Alexander Hamilton, probably more of a fan of James Madison. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just feel, I just think that a lot of our listeners are, are going to have a lot of questions from this podcast, which I think is fantastic. If we can have a, you know, a good dialogue. Um, I think a lot of people will be saying things like, the Bible or Jesus, for that matter, isn't a capitalist or a socialist. Um, Jesus didn't have a philosophy of economics. He wasn't an economist. Jesus wasn't a philosopher. What would your response to be to those kinds of sayings? Well, Jesus does affirm the teaching of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. And it's clear in the Ten Commandments that people have their right to their own domain. The, the under God, I'm not saying that the things that I own, I own, and I can say I get to keep them and God doesn't own them. But but under God, 
under the sun, when I own something, another person doesn't. And that's clear in the Eighth Commandment. And uh, you have a right to your reputation, clear in the Ninth. And to your spouse, that's clear in the Seventh. And to your, to your own life, nobody should be able to murder you. That's clear in the Sixth. So there, we, there's a huge agreement between what we see in Scripture and what we see within the American political system as it was conceived by the founders. So this is an area where what Ayn Rand is doing is not necessarily innovating, but she's drawing out more clearly. She's saying the purpose of the Declaration of Independence was to protect individual rights. That's the philosophical meaning of that declaration. And then the Constitution is the instrument by which we accomplish that end of preserving individual rights. So that's distinct from other theories. That's distinct from what you would learn if you went to Harvard today, where they don't even know what the Ninth and Tenth Amendments are attempting to do. They couldn't explain it. They have no idea what it means. But she's much more in line with the historical, uh, logical approach to these issues that you see in John Locke, that you see in Thomas Jefferson, and so on. Right. Right. So let's kind of bring this full circle. And, and how does Ayn Rand's uh, philosophy and ideology relate to the biblical view of money, wealth, and generosity? So you, could you narrow the question a bit more? Let's just talk about generosity. So this is a piece of Ayn Rand's philosophy that she would say she has a view on it. She thinks that people should be generous in specific situations. But most Christians would look at what she believes about that issue and they would say, she's not getting the whole point. There are reasons why we ought to be generous. The Bible is clear about that. And I wouldn't agree with what the Bible is saying over the, the model that she lived out in her life and, and how she would explain these issues. I mean, we see, for instance, Rand has a huge emphasis on justice, but does she believe in a God who is merciful? No. And so there's a whole side of reality that she's missing. And we as Christians treasure the gospel. We treasure not only that there was a just God, but that that just God was willing to make a way that he could be both just and the justifier. That's the other side of things that allows him to have more glory and it allows us to live with him forever and enjoy him forever. So yeah. she's missing that. Now, I think that God is rationally self-interested in doing that. I think that he's interested in his own glory and he's accomplishing something for himself by doing that. And I think that if we want to imitate his motivation, we should also seek values. We, sh we should seek him as a value and the highest value. But w when Rand talks about generosity, she doesn't know any of these things. She doesn't know much about forgiveness. So she's missing all those things. Yeah. You know, generosity is something that many of my clients and people I talk to would like to be. They would like to see themselves as generous. They just don't know how, or they don't know if they'll be able to survive, for example. Uh, and what I always tell clients is that, you know, generosity shouldn't necessarily be tied to the tax benefits, which are many. But if there are tax benefits to giving one way or another, you better get them. <laughs> There's no virtue in paying taxes, you know, more than you should. You have an obligation before God to manage your wealth, to pay the least amount of taxes as possible. Uh, especially when we have government um, waste like we do 
putting towards things that would not be just. Uh, and so, you know, it's not like if we can't, we shouldn't not give because there's no tax benefits or maybe we've exhausted the benefits. You may want to give more than that. But my point is you better get every tax write-off and deduction and make the best use of the tax code with your generosity as possible. You have an obligation to do that as a Christian. There's a theme that you're talking about there, which is good stewardship. God has given us things. He expects us to return it in increase. I love the parable of the talents. I see that as orienting my whole mindset about not only money, but my whole life. And the the point that I would try to connect between that and Ayn Rand is from learning about her ideas, she has this huge emphasis on valuing your own life. And I realize as a Christian, many of us do not know what it means to value our own lives at, at the fullest level or to have self-respect at the fullest level. And where you lack a value for yourself or self-respect, what's going to end up happening is you won't steward it the way you ought to. You'll make poor moral choices because you think, what does it matter? I deserve the consequences. There's all kinds of things that'll happen where you didn't steward it and therefore you didn't, uh, or you didn't value it, I should say, and then you didn't steward it. And so uh, this is something that I can see that you would have an affinity with Rand's way of thinking here because you need to be oriented to value. You need to ask yourself the questions about what really is most important. And the time that you've been doing that is is shaping the rest of your future. It's hardly, there's, you could hardly think of anything more important than asking yourself, what do I really value? We're gonna to come to different answers than Rand, but, but these kinds of questions, and that's generally my approach to Rand is, she's asking some good questions here. Can we ask those questions as Christians? That's how I think about him. Yeah. Well, this has been very, very informative, very enlightening. Cody, thank you for coming on today. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us? Sure. Uh, if anyone wants to visit our website, it's christianintellectual.com. We have videos and you can get on our email newsletter or see our podcast or articles. And it's all available there. So I'd encourage you if, you know, it's nobody wants to like have to go look for things, but just go to the website one time and get on the podcast feed or something. And that way it's going to show up to you automatically. It'll make it easy. Awesome. Well, thank you again to our loyal listeners. We're very proud that you've chosen to spend your time with us. Uh, if you want to send Crystal fan mail, you can send that to our email address at faithandmoneypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any complaints, you can send them to her as well. I won't read them. Um, but in any event, we look forward to coming back to you the next time we're bringing you really great content. If you haven't already, go ahead and, and smash that subscribe button and go ahead and send the podcast to a friend and maybe even an enemy just because it's such great content. Until then, Keith and Crystal, we say bye-bye.